she was a warrior. She wasn't going to just sit there and waste a minute of her precious life. <laughs> it just wasn't wasn't done. <laughs> yeah, she would get platelets and blood constantly for her um, leukemia, and that made a, an impact. I remember starting to think, wow, who gave this gift? I'm Helen Pitlick, and this is Bloodworks 101, the podcast that encourages you to give time, money, or blood. Bloodworks Fall Campaign is Music's in Our Blood. We're partnering with the Pacific Northwest Arts Community to recruit 10,000 new blood donors. The Nobel Peace Prize winner Albert Schweitzer said, There are two means of refuge from the misery of life, music and cats. I want to introduce you to Eliza Barston, a platelet donor and violinist with the Seattle Symphony. With four cats at home, she may be living Schweitzer's pessimistic dream, but talking to her is nothing but humor, optimism, wonder, and gratitude. Eliza started donating blood in high school. I used to donate blood when I was in high school, I think, back in um, Evanston, Illinois. There was a little blood bank building like a mile away from our house. She needed to stop for a while because of a medication she was taking, but got into it again as soon as she learned the medication deferral no longer applied. That's the thing about blood donor eligibility. It changes based on advances in science and new understandings of the world around us. It became really personal, obviously, after my mom, the last months of her life, sitting with her while she was, you know, getting um, transfusions. Uh, it's very important to me now to go and do that. If family is blood, the music's literally in hers. Eliza's mom, Gilda Barston, was a musician as well, a cellist. She was a warrior, first of all. She was a super strong woman in every sense of the word. She was a pioneer in the Suzuki cello world, first of all. There's a photo of Gilda and her cello from her Juilliard days. She's stunning in a 1960s satin and lace gown, a far cry from the black pants favored by modern cellists of all genders. While historically, the cello was viewed as unladylike for many reasons, even today, men make up more than 60% of elite orchestras, and that percentage gets higher the bigger and deeper the instrument. So back when the Suzuki movement first came to this country, it was back in the like late 60s, and my mom, I think, took a course, if, I, if I'm getting this right, took a course in uh, Suzuki child education back at NYU when she was a, a cello student at Juilliard. And she was just fascinated and enamored with it. And so she was one of the pioneers of the Suzuki cello school. I guess it was only violin back then at the beginning. And she, it just became like a huge part of her life. The Suzuki Method is a principle of teaching music established by Japanese violinist Sinichi Suzuki. Suzuki theorized that a child can learn to play a musical instrument as easily as picking up language. So he applied the principles of language development to musical training, listening, repetition, and positive encouragement. I'm one of the millions of students touched by Gilda's admiration of the Suzuki Method. I played the cello for about 10 years, 
from Suzuki Beginner Books to Carmina Burana with my college choir. So it was really a treat to learn about this history and all that Gilda made possible for generations of orchestra nerds like myself. I still have my cello, taking up space in my apartment for when I decide to go back to it. She taught the cello all the time, was traveling around at, to different Suzuki institutes her whole life. You know, we had a, a studio in our basement um, and I'd come home from school and she was always teaching, you know, it was just her, her massive passion in life. She just loved it. In 2008, Gilda was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. She refused to let that slow her down for one second. And that was amazing to watch because, you know, she, she just kept doing everything she was going to do. She's like, I'm, I'm, this is not going to affect me at all. And she was getting chemo and everything constantly, but did not change her life one second. <laughs> just, you know, it, it was wild. I mean, I would forget all the time that she was sick. Um, and it was really only those last six months. I guess she had been taking a chemo drug that had been working so fabulously for years. They kept her on it. And unfortunately, that led to the leukemia. <laughs> it's like, you know, it kept the, the cancer at bay, the breast cancer, but then, you know, she got the blood cancer from the drug, which I guess she got eight, eight years of full life from this drug. And even with the, you know, leukemia where she was, she was sick, then she was really slowing down. But again, she did not stop. She was determined to graduate her last class of, you know, cello students at the, she's like, I'm, that is my, my goal. I am, I'm graduating this class at the end of May. And, um, as sick as she was, she was teaching, she'd come back from chemo or from a, a blood or platelet infusion and go right to teaching, but, you know, would have to do some of it from her recliner <laughs> sometimes, you know, rather than constantly going into school or something. But she graduated that class at the end of May and a month later she was gone. I mean, there was no, oh, woe is me. Um, it was, you know, just never complained and just was like, I'm, I have to go teach now. I finished my chemo and I'm off, I'm off to teach three students. I mean, that's just what it was. It blows me away because I can't quite imagine, I can't quite imagine that she must've been exhausted and probably didn't feel too well, but she wasn't gonna just sit there and waste a minute of her precious life. <laughs> it just wasn't, wasn't done. Elisa noticed a real change after each transfusion her mom received. You know, I'd come to visit and so I'd drive her to um, the cancer care center and sit with her while she got, you know, whatever it was she was getting that day. Yeah, she would get platelets and blood constantly for her um, leukemia. Um, and that made a, an impact. I remember starting to think, wow, you know, who gave this gift? You know, like, where did it come from? And that's where it started the wheels turning. But wow, you know, these people, all these people in this cancer center are needing, you know, they're needing the platelets, they're needing the blood. And, um, and how much better my mom felt after receiving those. It really gave her a boost so she could carry on with, you know, with her life, which was... It made a, a very strong impact on me to see that. Infusions would really, it they would plump her up, you know, energy-wise. 
and um, she would be able to have more appetite and have more zest for life. And she had more color in her in her face, and she had more energy to then go off and teach her, you know, teach her beloved students. And I, I remember that clearly. It did make a difference. She just would um, feel great soon after, much better, which was terrific. Gilda passed in 2016 at 71 years old. I, I, I love to feel like I'm, you know, doing some good. I'm, you know, doing, I'm helping somebody. And it, I don't know who it is, but I'm giving a gift that's going to make somebody feel better like I saw my mom feel better. Blood isn't the only thing Elisa has given of herself. I, I'm a kidney donor. Did I tell you that? I did that eight years ago now. It was a young boy. He was 13 years old at the time. And I didn't know him. His mother is a um, clarinetist. And so we got hooked up through a mutual Facebook friend also who was, you know, helping her look for somebody to donate a kidney for her son. But I, I didn't know them until after the surgery. But that felt like the best thing I had ever done too. Giving a gift like that, it's like the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. It's it's the same idea with the platelets and that but that's wonderful because I can do that every week. <laughs> you can't donate a kidney every week. <laughs> you only have one chance at that, you know, because obviously I need to keep the other one. But I always said if I could do that again, I would because it just feels to watch him thriving. Like for example, he's um about to go to to grad school in London. So I'm like, I'm so jealous. I'm like, wow, my, my former kidney is, is, is living a better, a more exciting life than I am. <laughs> but, but it makes me so happy to see him thrive. But it's that kind of thing that you, you know you've helped, you've helped somebody. And the platelet thing, every time I sit there, it's like, I feel like I have done something good that day, <laughs> you know? And I've, hopefully somebody is feeling better because I've done this and I can do it every, I can do it, you know, as, as often as I can fit me in, as long as I'm taking my iron supplements, it, it feels like it's, well, first of all, just the right thing to do, but something that makes me really happy to, to be able to do that and to imagine, just imagine who that's going to. I mean, I have no idea. It doesn't matter, <laughs> but hopefully it's making somebody feel better. And I mean, it's easy. It's, you just have to have the time and that's it. It's usually the donation's about a hundred minutes uh, because I can I have a high platelet count so they can take a triple from me and they do usually I qualify for a pass also um, which so they take the plasma as well. Donating platelets does take a few hours, but Elisa uses it as an opportunity to reflect. So I'm sitting there for a long time, so I can think about my mom and think about other people, and then I'll watch like some. You know, I'll find something on Netflix that I can watch for a while because that does help to pass the time, particularly the last time I, I really did think about my mother. And now this last one was definitely on the fifth anniversary of her death. That was like that was special to me. And I um, I was terrified. I remember because I went in there and, you know, they, they did they always do the iron um, level, you know, the finger prick to check your level. And the first prick. I was at 12.4. I was one tiny point from being eligible. I was like, no, 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 not today. That's not happening today. And so I made him do it again on a different finger. 
and it was 12.8. Yes. <laughs> it's like, today is not the day that I'm not able to donate. <laughs> it was super important and impactful that day to, to do that because it was the best way I could, you know, think of to commemorate her. Definitely make sure you're um, thinking about your, <laughs> your iron levels because that having an issue with that often where I'm turned away, I always feel awful because you've made the appointment, especially during COVID where they have, you know, fewer people can come in, right? I, every, I know it's not my fault. So I started taking an iron supplement, try to eat more meat and, you know, things and, and make sure I'm taking that supplement every day before I go in. But I always feel so bad when I can't donate, you know, when the level is too low. For some of us, especially people who menstruate, iron can be a real challenge. One that Eliza encourages you to think about before your next appointment. And please don't feel bad if you can't donate for this or any other reason. We appreciate everyone who takes the time to make an appointment and come in. Eat plenty of iron-rich foods like shellfish, red meat and dark poultry, liver, if you're into it, spinach and other leafy greens, tofu, beans, enriched cereals, molasses, broccoli, pumpkin seeds, and even dark chocolate. And consider talking with your doctor. Aliza has a fun suggestion. For example, I'm, I'm donating platelets in two days and I'm going out with a friend tonight to have oysters, which has that great iron count. So I'm like, I'm, I'm plumping up for, <laughs> for success on Friday. <laughs> And I've done that with my, with my husband. We'll like have, we'll have dates like the night before I'm donating and we'll either, we'll go to a steakhouse or we'll go to like the, I don't know if you've ever been to Walrus and the Carpenter on, um, uh, what is it on Ballard Avenue in, in Ballard. And that's where I'm going with my friend tonight. And the, the, the uh, oysters are fantastic. And that works every time for a good, a good iron count. <laughs> so... She also has a favorite post-donation activity, one of my personal favorite pastimes, and one that I'm sure our audience enjoys as well. After donating platelets, actually, um, that's one of my, my favorite rewards is to reward myself with a nap <laughs> to get, you know, to get revved up to go take care of my dad, you know, in the, in the evening. So often I will donate at around 11 o'clock or, or 12 o'clock. Um, and uh, that gives me just enough time to come home and get an hour nap in before I go to take care of my dad. So that works out really well. Donating platelets does take time, and we love that Elisa makes the time for it. Between being a professional musician, mom, dedicated caretaker to her elderly father, and cat herder of, again, not one, not two, but four cats, she's certainly busy. It's a great thing in my life to get to share what I have to give, you know? And um, <laughs> I always joke with my husband, I'm like, I have a high platelet count, <laughs> so I'm useful. <laughs> and it really, it does make me feel useful. I hope Elisa and Gilda inspired you to give blood. I know that they inspired me to do something else as well. Pick up my cello again. definitely need to open up a Suzuki book. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.
be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoy this content, tell a friend. Your voice makes a difference in the world of blood donation.